Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 60. And while you're doing that, uh, earlier we heard the Carol of the Bells, and uh, Mark referred to it as Ukrainian uh, Bell Carol. Um, it's got several different uh, names that way, and, and that is its origin. And when we go to Ukraine, we include that with uh, the bells and so on when we take the uh, music and arts camp over there. But let me encourage you to do this, especially this season. When you hear that, use that as a prompt to pray for our dear friends and sisters and brothers who are in Ukraine. Uh, We are hearing distressing things from them about their loss of freedoms and concern over even more potential loss of freedoms there. We don't know what that means for the future, and they don't either. They're trusting the Lord. Uh, They are facing it with joy, and yet they have asked for our prayers. So um, whenever you hear either the name Ukraine or you hear that hymn, please use that as an opportunity to, to pray for them. Now, this month we have been uh, looking at the Incarnation. We began by laying out the the theological foundation of that, but we have spent uh, the vast majority of the time this month applying it, saying, okay, here's, here's the doctrine that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what does that mean in our lives. And so we, uh, we laid that foundation and then we, we looked at the incarnation and me, what it means in our salvation and how necessary uh, for that to take place, for salvation to be available to us. And then we looked at the incarnation and suffering. What kind of an impact does it have that that he literally left heaven. He himself suffered. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. There is no other religion in the world that has a God who will suffer, who will give that up for his people. And so he came and he walked among us and he Suffered. He understands it, but more than understanding, we know that when he came, he was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the comfort in the incarnation. And today we're going to to look outwardly. In other words, what does the fact that he came and he dwelt among us, what does it mean for us as we look at the world that we are dwelling among? What should that mean in our life? And so we've got to look at the plight of the world that we we live in and and see the the progression of that. So we are in uh, Isaiah 60. I just want to read you the first three verses. We'll look at a lot of Scripture, but uh, starting here. Arise, shine, for your light has come. 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you... Will you show us what this means that when you came and you dwelt among us, that to a dark world you brought light? Will you show us what that means? But especially in the application. What does that, that mean for us? We ask that you would teach us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Mark mentioned our uh, Christmas Eve service, and I hope that you will plan to be at one of our services. If you've never been to one of our services, let me tell you uh, at least one aspect that takes place. It's, it's, uh, I think, a wonderful service, one of my favorites. I know I say that a lot, but it is one of my favorites. Uh, And what we do after we, you know, we sing, uh, we give praise for what's, you know, what, what we're celebrating. We refocus on that. We go into the Word of God. And then uh, as you come in, you'll be given a candle, a real live wax dripping candle. And we have evidence of that the rest of the year on our pews and and other things. And uh, the candle will not be lit at that point. But at the end of the service, then, we will talk about the light. And the sanctuary will be, uh, the lights will be dimmed as we uh, sing during that time. And we will talk about, in essence, the cycle of the light, how it began with darkness. That's where we're starting today. And then a light came into the world, and that was Jesus. And then the progression of that, the third aspect of that, is that we are the light. And that's where we're headed today. And so what we do is we, we start with the, the candle and, and it begins to light up things a little bit and then it spreads. And, and then I always encourage people to, to lift it up and, and it shows light in the whole sanctuary. And to me, it's a neat moment of reminder of the fact that he came and now we are the light. Now, where does all that begin? Why do we say that the world was in darkness? In what sense is the world in, in darkness? Here in uh, this passage, we'll look at in a moment. But you've got to go back before that. 
You go back to the first book in the Bible, and there you see Adam and Eve with perfect communion with God, enjoying Him and Him enjoying them. They were walking in the light. And he told them, look, everything, everything in here is yours. Enjoy it. Except for that one. That one, don't touch it. And so, because Adam was a human being, he decided that's the one he wanted. And he took of it. And Eve followed him and took of it as well. And the Bible says, therefore, at that time, because of that, because of that willful disobedience when they didn't have to, that sin came into the world. Now, God would have had every right at that moment to wipe them out, which would have wiped out their posterity. He could have. Because that's the penalty for disobedient to the living God. But instead, a plan was in place for their redemption. But that's when darkness came in to this world when sin came into the world. In terms of the extent of it, we read in Isaiah 60, verse 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. Now, if you look at the first, first part of that, uh, the verse itself, that thick darkness, I, I don't know if you remember what was going on last Saturday afternoon. We had our, our music program here in the evening. I came in a couple of hours uh, before in the afternoon. It was raining a little bit, and then, and then it got dark. Do you remember that? Of course you do, because some of you said, I don't think I'll go to the music thing tonight. I, let's go tomorrow night. And that's okay, because you, you came the next night. We understand that. In fact, when it got that dark and the wind, you know, the wind came up and, and the rain was blowing, I was thinking, I'm, good thing I'm here. I'm glad I'm already here. Uh, I don't have to. So it got so dark that had I not had uh, my lights on in my study, I couldn't have done anything. Here it was in, in the middle of the day. Now, it wasn't because of the absence of light you know what? The, the sun was still up there somewhere. And it wasn't because the clouds were more powerful. It was because they were closer. There was something between the light and between us that caused us to be in darkness. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, what was it? Could it have been that uh, there had been 400 years of silence from God? At the end of the Old Testament, there was 
Four centuries of silence. That's a long time. Twice the age of our country, really. Imagine. Could that have been the darkness he's talking about? Or maybe it was the the law that the people were under. It had become, because of all the additions that uh, the, the religious people of the day had put on top of the law, it had become so burdensome that they were bending down under the weight of the law. Could that have been the darkness that he was talking about? Or could it have been that the Jews had received revelation and the Gentiles had not? Could that be the darkness? Well, I would say all of those are related to it. All of those are a part of the, the thick darkness. But Bible commentator Alexander McLaren said this. He, he broke it down into two things. Ignorance of God and the sorrows of this life. And I think that's as good as any. Ignorance of God and the sorrows of this life. This week, this idea of ignorance of, of God... I couldn't help but be reminded of that. Of course, I was working on this this message. But in uh, in the state newspaper, there was uh, an opinion article that was written by a minister here in Columbia. And he says this, Each Christmas I enjoy hearing the story of Jesus' birth. But it's been many, many years since I believed in his virgin birth. Neither can I believe that Jesus walked on water, turned water into wine, or came back to life after he died. I outgrew these beliefs in the same way I outgrew my belief in Santa Claus, in the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. As the Apostle Paul put it, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, and reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then he goes on to explain why. Um... I would love to talk to him someday. I wasn't angered by it. I'm saddened by it. He says at the end, given our current knowledge, perspectives, and vocabulary, I cannot believe in virgin births, but I can believe in Jesus. Now, he's completely free to have that perspective and he is free to share this. I'm glad I live in a country where people can, can write these kinds of things and people can start churches and, and talk in that way. Sadly, his reasoning is fallible. He takes some linguistic arguments about uh, the, the, the word virgin and so on, and, and he just slaughters the, the Hebrew and the Greek uh, perspectives on those, sadly. But that, that wasn't my biggest concern. The sadness is that he, he's taken Jesus. And by the way, where, where do you find out? Because he does say, I like the loving acts of Jesus. Where do you find out about the loving acts of Jesus? The only place you find out about those are in the same book where it says he walked on water and he was born of a virgin and he rose from the dead. 
That's the only place. So sadly, he has made God in the image that he's comfortable with. Now, he's not unique in this. And that's why I'm I'm not just picking on him. I suspect that there are many where that's the case. Oh, I used to believe those things, but, you know, I like Jesus. I don't have a problem with him. He's a good example. Well, you know what? If what he said about himself isn't true, he's not a good example. You know, if if you lie to everybody, then you're not a good example to follow. And so there's a dilemma there. McLaren then talks about the sorrows of this life. Now, maybe you're a believer trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. And you, and you, you sin, but you deal with it. But you're struggling right now because of circumstances you're facing. Maybe it's a relationship or ships that are falling apart. Maybe, maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe this time of year is especially difficult. Maybe it's because of a loss you've had. If there are struggles, those those can cause things, even in the light, to look dark. And so elsewhere in Isaiah, it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He presents this hope. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, what was that light? Well, the bright light that addressed the dilemma, the bright light that addresses this, this article is what Jesus says. What the Scripture says. In Him was life. John 1, verse 4. And life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the gospel relates the light coming into the the dark world to the incarnation. God becoming man. So what, what is that light? What did Jesus say? Well, he declares there's hope. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You see the progression? You've got darkness, but God is not content leaving his people in darkness. And so everything in the Old Testament points toward a light that is coming. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Elsewhere, he says, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So the world we live in has a choice between light and darkness. Jesus is the light. Now, when he was, you know, he, he absorbed the darkness for us. Think about even all the things that, that took place around his, his crucifixion. Remember what happened? He's on the cross. What happens? The world goes dark. 
three hours of darkness while he is bearing the sin of his people. And then he's, he's put into a dark tomb and it's sealed. And then light overcomes that. What happened when he, the tomb, they, they went to the, the tomb. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So the light overcame the darkness. What was the reaction of, of the world when light came in? And this is to the degree, um, the same reaction we still see. There's an aversion to the light. In John 3, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You know what it reminds me of? Most days, I'm the first one to uh, come into the building. And so... I unlock the door, and usually if it's a ways before others are going to come here, I lock it back. And then I go to our office area. And a lot of times when I, before I turn the corner down that hallway, I can hear footsteps in that hallway. And so I walk around, and I see that the footsteps, well, it's the roaches is what it is. It's the... Now, look, I want to make this very clear. We have a clean building here. But any building this size in this part of the country has roaches, okay? And so what happens? Well, I hear the footsteps and I turn on the light and it turns into scampers, right? Because those roaches that were boldly walking around in the, the dark... They don't like the light. They're concerned about that. And so they run and hide. I give them plenty of time to run away. I mean, I'm, you know, and then go into my office. Nocturnal creatures do that. Criminals do that, right? And that's, that's what this scripture's saying. That's why... That's why there was an aversion to the light because their deeds were evil. And when, when the light was shown upon them, it exposed them. And they saw the evil that they were about. They saw their identity in that. John 1 verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his, his own did not receive him. Let's continue with the progression. Because this is the application. And that is the passing of the torch is what I call it in the outline. This is our verse of the year. From this past year. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, what is this light that, that we are? I, as I say in the outline, I put the passing of the torch. I think I, I could have and should have been more accurate with that. It's not as though, it, you know, it's not like the Olympics where Jesus is running with a, a torch and he passes it to us and then we say, okay, we got it, you know, let's go. That's not really what the scripture says. What it says is, he was the light. He wasn't carrying the light. He was the light. And then it says, we are the light. We don't just take the torch from him and that you can drop or, or whatever. We become the light. So when, when he ascended into heaven to take his rightful place once again, he didn't leave this world in darkness. But what he said is, here's the plan. You now are the light. There's still a light in this world. It is you who are my children. And what is the light? Well, he was using a, you know, a metaphor of a lamp. You don't cover the lamp and so on. They all understood it when he talked about, about it, but it has to do with our union with Christ. The light is truth. In a world where truth is relative, we are to be bearers of the truth. Light is purity. Light is hope. Light spreads. That's by its nature. Light actually always overcomes darkness, right? Go into it. You go into a room. If the room's pitch black and you turn on a light, darkness won't win out. You turn on a flashlight, you light a, a candle, you light a lighter. Light always wins out. And we read in that same passage in Matthew Five, what the only appropriate use of the light is. It says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that is what I would call, letting your light shine is what I would call incarnational living. The incarnation God becomes flesh, takes on flesh. Now we are carrying that on so that as we move about, we should be the representation of the incarnation of Christ in this world. What's that mean for us? Just a couple of brief applications. One year at uh, Christmas, I've told you about how we, we used to, when our family was all in St. Louis, we would travel all night on Christmas Eve to get there Christmas morning. Well, one year it was on Sunday, as it is occasionally, and uh, Christmas was on Sunday. And so uh, I preached the service Christmas morning, and then we all jumped in the van and uh, headed toward St. Louis. 
And what we found out very quickly is that things aren't open on Christmas Day. Um, there, there was very little traffic. You'd get around the cities and you'd see people moving around a little bit, but not much on the highway. People are where they're going to be on Christmas Day, right? And so we saw, you know, the old standby McDonald's, you know, those, those aren't open, even on the highway, the way we were going at that time. And so finally, you know, I got four children and, you know, and me, you know, who are all starving. And, uh, you know, Connie's like, oh, I can make it to St. Louis. You know, it's 12 hours, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're all starving. And uh, so I had to find something. And we, we saw a truck stop. And it said never closes or something, some clue like that that I said, all right, good. So we, we pull in and uh, aren't even really many trucks there or anything. And there's two things I remember about that meal. Connie and I came in with our four little kids and, you know, we got a booth or a table or, or something and we ordered. And I remember the waitress being extra nice. Now, she might have always been that nice, but it just felt like she was probably going, oh, you poor little family, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know where you're going, but why are you eating here, you know. That, and, but I, I remember that. But then I also remember looking around at other people. There were, there were a few travelers, but there were a lot of people that seemed to know each other. People from the area. And I couldn't help but think, what, what is your life that on Christmas Day you're spending it sitting around smoking at a truck stop? By the way, that's one of the curses of being married to a preacher. It's, you, you can't just enjoy your meal. There's always something else there, you know, the, an illustration or, you know, it's a, there's a bigger picture going on. But I remember thinking, I wonder what the stories are here. Now, let me ask you this. Who are those people in your life that might be those invisible people, like the people that were in that truck stop? It might be someone who serves you. It might be somebody who's in your neighborhood or you're in school with. It may be somebody here in the church. It may be somebody who believes like this man. Whoever they are, here's what we need to be reminded Jesus came to seek and to save people just like that. He didn't come for a bunch of church people. He came for people who knew they needed him. And it's our opportunity to let our light shine before others so that they can get a glimpse of the incarnation. You may be the only, the only part of Jesus they see 
this Christmas. You may be it. And so we're called to it. And one last thing, because it's so related, I couldn't resist. I want to give you a preview of next year's verse of the year. Because it fits exactly with this. I'm going to preach on it in the first, the first Sunday in January. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's where it starts. It starts here, loving one another, but it it mustn't end here because that's how the light shines. As people observe us really showing love for one another in a radical way, it will be so noticeable because it is so rare in our world that they will not be able to ignore it. And then they will see that they really are His disciples. That Jesus who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Lord, will you give us eyes to see the hidden ones among us? Will you help us to love one another and then and then to be able to love those among us. Will you help us to walk in such a way, with such love, with such grace, that people get a glimpse of Jesus, a glimpse of the incarnation. We can't do it without you. You're not just our example. You've got to live in us. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.